This podcast acknowledges the traditional owners and custodians of the land on which we record, the Rwandri Woiwurrung people. We also acknowledge the neighbouring Kulin Nation groups, the Bunwurrung and Bunurong people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. We also extend that respect to any other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities who may be listening today. For Step One, the poptastic debut album from Steps. Including Last Thing on My Mind, 5678, and One for Sorrow. You're just one step away from Step One. Step One, out now. Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Glitter and Gold, the original Steps podcast. We are the first podcast dedicated to discussing and dissecting the legacy of Steps, the UK's biggest mixed gender pop group of all time. We are your hosts, I am Shane, coming to you just a heartbeat away. We have Scott here, he's going to love you more, and we have Brad, he's now experienced. (laughs) (laughs) Bitch. How are you boys? (laughs) Track seven, Brad. I'm so I'm so ha- I'm so excited for you, Brad, because you just get to have your moment today with this episode with really track seven. Do. Like it's been a long time coming. I feel like I have my moment with the song every episode. Let's be fair. You do, but like this one in particular, this is such a special moment. This is actually the track seven twenty five episode. Yeah, no. So <laughs> this is gonna be a two parter. <laughs> one to six and eight to twelve will be on a different podcast. This is just about track seven. Let's talk about the wonderful thing that's happened since we last recorded, and that was Steps performing at Brighton. How fucking awesome was that? It was so good. It was just like, it was amazing. Um, I loved, it was just, they know how to put on a show. And I think back to when I saw them at Hoopla and how great that was. And that was the kicking off of their summer tour in 22. And this one, I know they were supposed to do Brighton Pride a few years ago and it got cancelled because of COVID, I think. So this was, you know, they've come back bigger and better. And it's the only show that they're doing for the UK. It, it was the only show, sorry, that they've done for the UK this year so far anyway. What I love was that they gave us a new show. Yeah. They didn't yeah. have to. They could have just done last year's, you know, yep. silver outfits, same set list, same visuals. But they gave us new visuals, new new songs, new outfits. I oh, loved it. and with like, what, I think Faye said they had five days of rehearsing. That was all they had to do, a completely new show, because I think a lot of us wouldn't have been surprised if they'd just done a rehash version of the summer shows from last year, but the fact that it was a completely new show, brand new set list, and for the first time since, what, the Christmas tour in 2000, Tragedy was no longer the encore final song, which... I think we talked about this in our top five episode, didn't we? About we sure how did. I thought that tragedy wasn't. So 
Maybe they took inspiration from that, <laughs> but we know who knows? certain music producer listens to the yeah, podcast. Yeah. Maybe, maybe so who he knows? did. We know some of the people that we know, like that follow our pod and um, are friends of the pod, lost their tiny minds when tragedy was in the middle. They. They're all like, oh, I don't... Well, they probably thought, oh, shit, is the show over already? <laughs> the universe is unravelling and they, like, couldn't cope. And I'm like, no, I'm here for it. Like, yeah. I'm absolutely here for it. But change that shit up because um, you can. You've got such a great back catalogue. You don't always have to end on your biggest hit. Stomp ending the the set was perfect. Like, absolutely that is perfect. such a... That is such a big encore song, just like Tragedy is. It was the perfect song to end a Brighton Pride set. They've ended previous Pride sets with Tragedy before, but I think for one off of Brighton Pride, which is such a you know big moment for them and their careers, I think Stomp was a perfect way to end it and, you know, let the gays sail off into the night. How nice was it with, like, the heartbeat moment? Yeah. Like... Dedicated to the trans people, like to our trans people, yeah. and all the, balloons, the release of the balloons, which we know, which we know were biodegradable. <laughs> Everyone has been talking about this. We can confirm. I, Steps care about the environment. They were biodegradable balloons. Everyone, I would have assumed this. No other. I would have assumed yes, no other. The outcry online about this—it was so funny. I'm like, my god. Mm. But nice to see people are conscious about the environment because absolutely. I, I must admit, when I saw them going out, and I know that. Brighton topography, you know. So I'm like looking at them all going up this kind of like, oh, they're going straight out to the ocean. Great. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Some of them might end up in France, but that's okay. Cool. <laughs> the band have promised that they will be back, which we kind of assumed and know, um, I guess, with no timeline. But I'm manifesting. This is my manifestation. Shane, you have yours about the Australian tour. Scott, you have yours about like Delta. I'm manifesting a new album or era in either 2025 or 2026 in the running to a 30th anniversary summer tour. Yeah, I I personally would say that that's probably the most realistic. And I kind of just want to say also to to everyone that's listening, because I know there's been... just want people to remember that this isn't 2001 anymore. The landscape is so different. The... You know, the way that Steps run as a business is different. And a big part of Steps is relying on nostalgia and the band themselves have said that and know that and they've done a hell of a lot in the last what seven years nearly since tears came out they've released three albums the greatest hits numerous tours they deserve that time off and i think that everyone involved knows that for them to then come back again they need that time away and you know steps will be back but I just look at everything that we get from here on in as a bonus. Like I never, I don't, I probably don't, I think of it in a different way if I don't assume or hope, you know, obviously if we had our way, they'd be releasing albums all the time, of course, but that's not reality. I think that most realistic is going to be, yeah, towards the 30th anniversary, which scaringly is only like what, three and a half years away anyway, since until their 30th. So I can probably see them getting back towards the end of 2025, 26, and then, yeah, leading into the 30th. I think we may we may see little drips and drabs here and there, but I think that that's probably the most realistic. Something that did pop up um, a, a week or so ago was um, Brad, uh, Brad, Hello. John from S Club 7 talking about a Steps Club oh. tour because yes. they're both going to celebrate their 30th anniversaries around the same time in a few, in a few years. Um, I mean, as camp as that would be. I could see Steps doing it. Why not? 
maybe even just like a couple of one-off performances or something like that. I don't know if they'd have a joint tour though. I wouldn't say no to it though. If it happened, I mean, I'd I'd go. Can you imagine? Like that would be it. John himself said that would be a massive pop moment. Those two bands together, all those songs. Oh my god! And they could probably, with a few other bands, do arenas in Australia if they all got together. Actually, you're 100% correct there because S Club have pulling power in Australia still, Mm. probably more so than Steps. Yeah, I would say so. I would agree. No, no, I think it's I think it's valid. They they have toured here in like you know semi big like theaters as a three piece. Can we just talk? Can we just talk about Brighton for one another minute? Also, just we can talk about it for the whole hour. We can talk about it for the whole hour, but I we haven't also mentioned their incredible cover of "Rain on Me" by Lady Gaga. Oh, and "Unholy" by Sam Smith and Kim Petras. Um, it was great. I love seeing them when they cover songs that are are not uh, out of their repertoire. You know, that are completely different and of the now. Um, I think the rumour going around it was going to be Padam Padam. I wish it was. Cause oh, that would have that been amazing. would have gone off. Would have absolutely gone off. But yeah. I think it was... Um, I think I sent it to both of you. Um, Frank Strachan, their stylist, he posted like the day before a photo of Kylie. And then I think he put like hashtag Brighton Pride wink face. And then that sent me into a spiral yeah. thinking that it was like a hint of a something Kylie related with steps. And I think I sent it to both of you. And I was like, well, you know. So I think you that maybe know. is where that came from. But that would have been amazing. But also, I don't think Kylie's had her proper moment performing that yet. So maybe, you know, it's not the right time. Like she's performed it, but not like a, you know, maybe what, once or twice. Like she probably hasn't had much of a moment for her to perform it for other people to perform it. I loved their version of Rain On Me, but I really loved what they did with Unholy because it was unexpected and it's not a kind of song that we would see from Steps. And again, you know me, I like to, you know, one foot in the future. I like to see them tackle new things. It worked really well with Scared of the Dark and Better the Devil, like, mashed in between there. And I loved on Rain On Me that when they did the routine, they actually did the routine, like the proper Rain On Me dance routine from the video. Speaking of choreography, Brad, I'm going to get you to do a little challenge after this. Um, Watch Lisa do Scared of the Dark live and just her chest pops are the best. Like when she goes, you know, I'm doing it on camera for everyone that's listening at home, (laughs) but um, like Lisa's chest pops when she does Scared of the Dark, there just needs to be like a TikTok page just for that alone. Because she's passionate about it. She's bringing back. So 100%. she started that from lately. You know, that started from lately and then she's just bringing it back. That's true. Yeah, it's a throwback. Yeah. Speaking of one more, I know, Shane, you like your Australian flashbacks. I like my lately flashbacks. For me, it's all about Lisa's lately esque hair extensions, the, the brunette blonde moment. Yeah, I do love I do love the blonde um, extensions as well, Brad. I love loving that. I love that look. We just need that. We need the hair braid now. Yes. You know, we should just do the hair braid. Yeah. Yeah. We need that. And a little and a three quarter length pair of jeans with a chunky belt <laughs> and some high heels. And then we're good and to go. And a chair. A folding chair, please. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> well, speaking of Lisa Scott Lee, should we let's get into the individual steps news and see what's going on um, out there at the moment. Should preference, while we say this, we are recording this episode about four weeks from when it's going to go out because Shane is heading off on his summer of love to the UK. So we're having to record this a little bit earlier. So we are going to reference things that maybe we're going to try and reference things that have maybe just happened by the time this goes out or will happen. So we're we're, we're stepping into the future, basically what the future holds. We can tell you right here. <laughs> so with Lisa, 
Never on Owl, as of the, at the moment, 16th of August, the re-release has been pushed back until September 8th. Uh, as far as we know at this point in time, the digital release has been pushed back, so we're probably going to assume that the physical releases have also been pushed back to the uh, 8th of September. So if keep an eye out online, socials, any updates, go to Plastic Pop Records. I'm sure they'll update in due course. But at the moment, September 8th is the release date. And at time of recording as well, she will have just performed at a Manchester Pride on the 27th of August. And also she is doing the closing party at Manchester Pride at the Eagle on the 28th of August, which I know gay Twitter went nuts for when this was announced the other day. Shane, are you are you going? No. <laughs> I'm this is when I'm in Ibiza. So all of this stuff is happening two days after I'm in Ibiza. Like I literally fly to Ibiza on August twenty-sixth. Like so I only get one day of Manchester Pride and I don't get to mm. see I know, I know. And I can't like not I can't delay that part of Ibiza because I've committed to an, like a week with friends in a villa and all that sort of stuff that I've paid for. And it is so. your friend's birthday as well. Yeah. Correct. Shout correct. Demo. It's yeah. his birthday. So um, I, if there was a potential to move stuff around, I would like entertain that idea, but I can't. So I'm not going to. Because yeah. um, so. also that weekend, Claire's just announced yesterday at GOY. Yeah. So you're missing out on a whole step's worth. I know. I know. But I am catching Claire um, a few days before this um, very, very in true. Manchester. So that'll be fun. So yeah, by the time this goes out, that will have happened. So we can't wait to see all of the clips and everything regarding that. As for Mr. Lee Latchford Evans, still waiting to find out what the 5678 method is all about. Haven't heard much on that since it was originally announced in The Sun a couple of months ago. But just a reminder that he is, because I don't think we've actually mentioned this, he is playing The Prince in Snow White at a panto. As we said last episode, the Brits love, love a, panto a panto. At the Redditch Palace Theatre from December 8th. So tickets, you can, if you just Google it, you'll find them. I don't have the web address on me. Just, just Google them and you can find them. But that is what Mr. Lee is up to. Shane, what is Miss Fatoza? Oh, Miss Fatoza, lovely Fatoza, is all about 42nd Street at the moment. Um, she did a great interview on Radio Wales promoting the Cardiff dates not long ago. This month in September, she'll be playing at Liverpool, Dartford, where I'll be seeing her um, with a friend, uh, and Woking before going hard in October with Southampton, Newcastle, Manchester and Belfast. We loved a, we love a booked and busy queen. We do love a booked and busy queen. And don't forget that in December, she'll be the magical mermaid in Br- Bristol's Hippodrome's Peter Pan Panto in December. <laughs> Love tongue that. twister. Say that when you're drunk. That has six shots. Speaking of tongue twisters, hello H. <laughs> um, he's focusing on his art and family at the moment. He uh, took most of August off um, from his radio show, and Katie Owen um, sat in for him for the rest of that month. Um, from us to him, we hope that he's enjoying his life and looking forward to seeing his next. Exhibition. We're looking forward to seeing his next exhibition. If you do want more of a H update, you can reach out to him on Cameo. He is available now. As is Lee. We forgot to mention that before as well. Lee's back doing personal video messages on Memo too. So, yeah. 
Brad, what's Claire doing? What is Claire doing? I think she's just chilling at the moment. She doesn't seem to be doing much. <laughs> no, she's really not doing anything. I mean, she's very lazy. God. So by the time you hear this, Euphoria will be out. We're so very excited to hear it. Um, so, but at the time of recording, we're about nine days out, and we're just hoping for maybe one more instant grat this Friday, but we'll see. Um, but in the meantime, remixes for I Surrender and Summer Night City have been serviced to UK DJs. She's been featured in OK Magazine, Notebook Magazine, Retro Pop. Her next gig is actually going to be, at, as Scott mentioned earlier, is going to be at GAY on, I think, the 25th of August. Just announced at time of recording. Very exciting. Uh, she also, the other day, I don't know if you guys saw this, she also reshared that Delta... Delta's tour is starting in the next nine days. Again, manifesting. Yep, yep. We'll see how that goes. Another continued Australian connection. We are manifesting. <laughs> we are manifesting. And also, can we just can we just like say because we had a literally seconds before we started recording this, Delta announced the vinyl release of Innocent Eyes and Mistaken Identity, and Shane, we were about to record, and then Shane and I were like, Brad, sorry, we're going to have to take five minutes, and Shane and I both sat here on our laptops and bought the vinyls, and we were stressing of, like, where, how we need to buy it, so um, it just that's a little another Delta crossover there. Like, she's um, interrupting the recording of this episode because we had to buy these vinyls. We had to. It was a necessity. No, I support and encourage you to do that, but... Back to Claire. Okay, back to yeah, Claire. Back to Claire. <laughs> Following GAY, the next gig that we know of, I'm sure she's going to have other gigs in the interim and she's doing her HMV signings as well. But the next proper gig is 23rd of September in Liverpool at the Pop World Festival. With a further few gigs booked in 2024, she does remain booked and busy. Shane, you're seeing her at VIA in Manchester. Mm-hmm. I sure Very am. exciting. Uh, we will be covering Euphoria in further detail in a later episode. So um, that's all on Claire for now, but we will definitely be covering Euphoria. Do not stress about that. We will, we will. And we have all our fingers crossed that by the time this goes out, she's got a top 10. No, let's go top five. We're going to manifest top five. We're seeing into the future. We're going we're gonna to manifest a top five album for Miss Claire Richards. Yep, we are, I already have been manifesting it. Scott, this episode is about step 125, right? It's the 25th anniversary of Step 1 this year, um, and that's what we're doing this episode. So tell us tell us about that. Alrighty. Well, look, I know it's hard to believe because we're all so youthful, but it has been 25 years since the release of Step's debut album, Step 1, a record that has gone on to become one of the most iconic pop albums of the 90s. It was released on September 14th, 1998 in the UK, and it would produce five massive hit singles, four of which went top 10, and of course, that number one million selling double A side. This album was recorded and produced in-house at PWL Studios and began a long-standing history with producers and songwriters Mark Toffman and Carl Twig who the band would continue to work with throughout their 97-01 to run and would be responsible for some of the band's biggest hits. And of course, not forgetting that in 2021, they reunited with this song team for Take Me For A Ride from What The Future Holds Part 2. This record, it peaked at number two in the UK where it stayed in the UK albums chart for 64 weeks. 25 of those was in the top 10 and it has sold over 1.4 million copies in the UK alone. Like those stats, when you look at those stats in a 2023 lens, 
Like, it's just crazy. 64 weeks in the UK charts is insane. But as we know, the success did not end in the UK. As we all know, if you have listened to our second episode of the podcast, we deep dive into the step one journey in Australia. And we know that it peaked at number five down under. It also peaked at number one in Belgium, number eight in Ireland, 19 in Japan, six in New Zealand, four in Scotland, 46 in Sweden, nine in Taiwan, 79 in America. And it was certified platinum here in Australia, double platinum in Belgium, gold in Japan, and platinum in New Zealand, and five times platinum in the UK. Worldwide sales are currently over 3 million, and as of August 2023, because I literally sat and calculated it myself, it has a total combined number of nearly 100 million streams on Spotify. And I say, boys, that is not bad for an act to, in the beginning the label saw steps as a bit of a one-off novelty record act and did not anticipate the success that would come. So before we get into this record, and we're going to talk about the whole album track by track, and we know Brad's eager to get straight to track seven. So before we do that... Just fast forward now in this recording. We'll just fast forward. Just fast forward. We'll give you the timestamp if you want to go straight to that. I really want all of us to go around and just give your, and I know we've kind of, you know, we've spoken about this album in one particular way on that Australian episode, but we're, we're looking at it in a different lens here. We're looking at it from the overall success worldwide of this album and just what this album means to us and our memories of this album. So maybe Shane, I'll start with you. When you think of step one, what are your overall memories of this album and how do you feel about this album 25 years later? My overall memories of step one is like a nice, big, warm hug. So for me, you know, step one, I it came out when I was 14 in 1998, 25 years ago. Yeah, 14, turned 15 that year. Um, and I remember I went overseas that year um, and I upgraded my Discman on the way to the overseas trip. It was with a school trip, actually. And I upgraded my disc when at Duty Free in Singapore Airport. And Step One was the only album I took with me overseas. And so, like, it got a beating. Um, and, like, a core memory of that trip is having a bit of a um, homesick moment. And, like, you know, some of the kids on the trip were assholes and would bully me because, you know, I was 15 and a bit camp and I wasn't out and I was still coming to terms with my sexuality. So I remember one specific day feeling really down and homesick and just, like, listening to Heartbeat on repeat and, like, bawling my fucking eyes out like a sad boy um, because, like, I love Steps and they, you know, like, I've said this previously on the podcast, you know, Steps for me come came into my life at a time where shit was going on family-wise um, and they sort of helped me escape and so it's like a nice big warm hug and it reminds me of that comfort. So for me, not only is it just like great pop music and camp pop music, it's also a nice big warm hug. That's that's what my memories are. And like, you know, some of the tracks 25 years later, you listen to it and be like, oh, okay, that was a choice. But also not at the same time. Like, it's a product of its time, yet some of the singles can be easily translate to right now. Brad, 
What do you think of Experienced? <laughs> <laughs> so no, what do you think of the album? My overall memory of the album is a little bit different to your... Well, I think we're all, all three of us were in different points in our life. I was, you know, right in that sweet spot of seven, eight years old. And for me, I more so associate the memory of the album with the video. This was always, to me, a companion piece to the video. So I don't have many memories of the album when it actually came out, but I think as over the years, I've certainly grown to really appreciate, especially like the lyrical content of songs like Lasting On My Mind, Heartbeat, and even some of the album tracks like Back To You and Love You More. So I think, as you say, Shane, some of it we'll get into and have some thoughts, but overall, the singles still stand the test of time. How about you, Scott? So, I mean, probably very similar to what Shane said. You know, it was interesting. I obviously, you know, the way that we consume music these days, I don't particularly listen to a lot of older albums in their natural, like the order that they were. You know, we listen to singles and play shuffle and playlists. But in prep for this episode, I sat and I listened to this album from track one to track 12, which I haven't done in years. And when I, and I, so I sort of sat there and I went into the mindset of, okay, I'm listening to this album from start to finish. And when Steptro came on, which we'll talk about, I, and it went into lasting in my mind. It honestly, like it, I, I, it was like my body went back to being, I was 11 when this came out and I just, it was like this wave of nostalgia of this, like me thinking back to being in my bedroom with my inflatable chair, with my <laughs> top of the pops magazine, sitting there listening to this album with my steps posters and all saints and spice girls and, you know, Billy Piper posters all over my wall. And it was just like, a t- it's a time capsule of a really pivotal time in my life. When I was, I was finishing primary school, I was going to high school and, you know, something that this album also did for me was uh, I was, you know, I was bullied like a lot of us were in primary and high school and, you know, if, you know, for different reasons. And um, I would be able to go home and put this album on and it was like an escapism, which, you know, steps are for so many of us. And this album was very much that. I played this album to death. The, the fact that the copy I have doesn't have, is, is still playable, is, is great. Although You've I got, have about yeah. 30 copies of this album <laughs> in every version. Um, so I've got plenty to choose from. Uh, it just, it's just a time capsule for me of a really, when it was a lot of times life was shitty, but this album made it okay. And there are, there's four albums in particular that I, so, that I kind of bundled together in this time. And it's Step Step One. All Saints debut album, Billy Piper's debut album, and oh god, what was the? There was another one that oh, Bewitched. Those four albums. When I think of this album, I also think of those because it's almost like a time capsule of this incredible moment in '98 when I personally think that was the best year for for UK pop '98 in the '90s. It just yeah, this album is just so nostalgic and was there for me in so many moments of my life and. Yeah, listening to it prior to this episode in its in its full, it, took you back. it really just the wave of nostalgia that came back to me with this record oh. was insane. You, yeah, you run with the, when you spoke about Steptro just then and, and putting that on because I did the same as you, Scott, at the start mm. of this in prep for this. I listened to this album from you know start to finish and just 
like I know we're going to get into Steptoe in a sec, but mm. it's one of the, for me, in my memory, and I'm probably wrong, but it's one of the first times I'd ever heard like an intro added to an album that led into, and I was just like, fucking hell, that's good. And I remember standing in Sanity at Crown Casino because the day I purchased this was on a school trip uh, into the city um, and I purchased it at Sanity and I remember putting the headphones on and listening to it first and then hearing the intro and I was like, well, I'll take my fucking money and then asking for the poster and getting the poster. And so that leads me to talk about, because I wanted to bring this up before we get into the track by tracks, is that album cover. How iconic mm. is it? Like, it's iconic. And when they came back and did Tears on the Dance Floor, it was, it was you know, homage. a reference to, yeah, an homage uh, to that. Like, it's just... It's it's a very recognisable um, album cover, and I really fucking hope that we do get it on vinyl later on this year. Like, continue that manifesting because I want yeah. that as a piece of art, artwork on my wall. Do you know what I found really interesting? This is going maybe it's an off tangent, but I I mean I've never I never noticed this until about half an hour ago in the credits for the album. Pete Waterman has a, has a thank you section. Does he thank the band? Uh, so he says, I would also like to personally thank all the staff at PWL and Zomba that make it a lot easier to be creative. You would think after 25 years of hits, it would get easier. But no, there are still mountains to climb. So pass me my climbing boots. Here we go again. Look, do you know what? I will say, I will say to credit him, I don't think that he gets enough credit for in the for the beginning stages of steps because to be fair he was the only one out of all the labels that actually you know said yes i'll sign you and had faith and believed in them mm. so for That's everyone's true. differing opinions on him um i don't think and claire has said this a few times recently and lee that he probably doesn't get the credit that he probably should for you know those these early years of steps basically our showcase to audition for record companies and yeah. producers, and Pete Waterman was one of those that day. Well, he was the only one we did yeah, it for. Yeah, we just did it for him that Yeah, because everybody else had said no previously. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> no, that was our first ever showcase, though. We only needed to do one. Yeah. So we sort of together like yeah. this and thought, all right. Back to the album cover. You know, I've got it in front of me. I, I wanted to kind of have a copy next to me while we recorded this, and it just, it's so nostalgic. Like, it really is nostalgic. Like, just the colours and the just, I really can picture my me sitting in my bedroom like with my you know inflatable chair sitting and listening to this album with my you know corded home phone next to me that's covered in stickers from TV Hits magazine and it's just you know I think for a lot of us when you're sort of eleven and twelve years old like you know sitting in your bedroom is like your comfort blanket you know, in times of if things aren't going well or bullied or whatever. And for me, sitting in my bedroom and listening to this album on repeat was a lifesaver for, for a lot of times. And so I'm just, it's such a nostalgic album for me. And I know that a lot of fans will feel the same about this record. Well, boys, should we get into the album then? Yeah. Let's do we it. talk about each track. So we're go- what we're going to do is we're, we're literally going to go track by track and we're going to talk about each song. And so let's kick things off with track number one, Steptro. As Scott and Shane have mentioned, it is essentially an extended intro into Lasting On My Mind using elements of the WIP Up In The Disco mix. 
But as you both have said, and even for me, I was going to go into my story. Whenever I hear that, I immediately think of the, is it Purple Couch? Uh, they're on the, in the video. Yeah, they're taken yeah, yeah. And I was listening, as you guys both were today, to the album from start to end. And yeah, literally the only thing on my mind was the couch. And they're all going like, and you can, I mean, obviously they can't see, but I'm like, they, they've got their hands in the air and they're flying around and the <laughs> step trail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoa. yeah. <laughs> and the one other thing I was going to say about this is the one possible, the, possibly the one thing that was missing from Tears on the Dance Floor was during the party on the dance floor. Fuck, that's a lot of dance floors to mention. Steve Anderson did a really brilliant intro to Scared of the Dark that I would have loved to have seen as a step two. Oh no, step tro, step tro two for the Tears on the Dance Floor album. Intros on albums, if you think about it, I don't know, they were kind of, at a time, they were kind of a thing for a little bit. I know a lot of albums had them. And usually an intro, it's like whatever. But for, for me, I actually, I look at this as a track. Like it's, it's its own song, even though it's like what, like 50 seconds or something. It, and it, but it, it's literally just an extended intro to lasting on my mind. But I was really devastated when they didn't have one for Steptacular. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of wanted, I think it would have been cool if they kept that momentum and had an intro for all the albums. And Brad, consider, like you said, because um, Tears on the Dance Floor had, you know, they took homage to the to this album cover. It would have been cool if they'd done like a Step Pro 2 for entering to Scared of the Dark. Like that would have been awesome. So track two on step one is my all-time favourite, last thing on my mind. It's the second single off the album and their first UK top 10 hit. It peaked at number six in the UK, number five in Australia, number one in Belgium, number 30 in France, 22 in Iceland, number 11 in Ireland, 11 in the, in the Netherlands, 24 in New Zealand, number two in Scotland and 59 in Sweden. Originally written, by, written and released by Banana Rama as the second single from their 1992 album, Please Yourself. <laughs> That's an interesting title um, <laughs> in today's age. Uh, their version, Banana Rams version, peaked at number 71 and in the UK and Steps commented when Pete Waterman first played in the track that they thought it was a Christmas jingle and we've said this before. And do you know what? I agree. We've <laughs> said this before. It definitely is very Christmas jingle vibes. I don't hear that. You don't hear it? Oh, I do. It's the ding, 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 ding. Yeah. It's... If you hear, not obviously Steps, but oh, Banana Oh, sorry, Rams Banana Rams version. Rams sorry, like... confused. Yeah, yeah no, the it's Steps very... version. Yeah, no. Ding, ding, ding. Sorry, yes, it's very, no, I do agree yeah, with that. Very yeah. Christmas bells. Mm. Um, Karen from Banana Rama said in an interview with The Guardian in 2005 that Steps made us some cash. God bless them. <laughs> to which Sarah continued, <laughs> last thing on my mind was top 10, which was fabulous. You don't have to work, you just see the royalty checks. Thankfully, when Pete Waterman came on board, he saw something in us that was bigger than line dancing and decided that we were Abba on Speed. Abba on Speed, As he told kid. everybody at our first showcase. There was something in your voice That was telling me Don't be too sure After we did 5678, he played us Last Thing On My Mind, the Bananarama version. We were like, oh my God, really? That can't be... No, that's not going to work. Press Pete's magic. Oh, 
Pete saw something in us and in the concept that was bigger than line dancing. I think we all agreed as well that we didn't want to carry on with line dance. We wanted the dance element, and that's what Steps has kept till today, um, but we just didn't want to be a line dancing band. For me, we know this, it has healing properties for me. Yeah. Um, I've said this many times before, move over the salt lamp, move the salt lamp to the side, turn it off, put it back in the garage, play last thing on my mind and your life will be healed. I could ram I could rabbit on all day about this song, and I even just have fond memories of like putting the um, <laughs> being an absolute nerd and putting on the uh, the instrumental, and then like getting my tape recorder, playing the instrumental, and then pressing record on my tape, and then me singing oh. the lyrics over it like an absolute fucking nerd. For me, uh, I always find it funny when you say it's got healing properties because I find the lyrics so like deeply upsetting i guess as a you know a 30 something single man you know these lyrics are just like about being ghosted basically oh look you're you're 100 correct but as a 14 year old i wasn't deep deep diving into the lyrics i was like getting my pop off because they sounded like abba and abba for me was like the, my first love abba gold i purchased with my own pocket money one of my very first cds i ever purchased was abba gold and so I would listen to ABBA. So this was like a new iteration of that. But they had a fucking dance move with it. And I was like, yes, I'm here for it. Give me that campness. And not not completely fully comprehending that I was a big flaming homo. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's, the, I guess, the healing properties. It's a full circle moment. Love it. <laughs> Scott? Do you have anything anything to add? Yeah, I mean, look, we have. I mean, how many times have we talked about this I know, between right? Shane I and know. I now? I feel like we could we could probably like collate one whole episode. We of nearly this, did about the amount of times we've talked about it. We <laughs> nearly did. Actually, that's true. We yes, fun fact: we were gonna do a 25th anniversary episode for this song, and then we realised we've talked about it so much that we didn't need to. But there you go. That was nearly gonna happen. Um, yeah, just so much nostalgia for this song. It was really, like I've said before, it was really where I paid attention. Five, six, seven, eight, which we'll get into was, you know, I loved it, but this was where it really changed for me. And this was really what got me loving steps. I remember the first time I ever saw the video, I was at a sleepover at a friend's house, woke up Saturday morning, we put on rage and it was at number 29 on the singles chart here. And I had... And I had bought the single the day before. And then I remember seeing the video and going, oh, that's the song that I bought yesterday. And I had, you know, obviously the Top of the Pops performance because we got that here. I remember all those moments, the first the first times for everything of hearing this song, seeing this song's video, buying the song. Such, such a, one of my all-time favorite pop songs of the 90s for me. It really just, yeah, changed the game. Loved everything about it. Loved the video. Just... Yeah, just just love, love, love. Those drums at the start are just iconic. Like, as soon as I hear that oh. yeah. at the start, yeah. I'm just like, right, I'm in dance mode, I'm ready to start, and I'm like, hands up in the air, and I'm like shaking Shampooing my bum. Shampooing your The hair. routine starts. The routine <laughs> literally starts. Uh, have you heard Tom Aspall's song, Let Them It's All Love? He actually samples a very similar drum line in homage to Lasting On My Mind. Mm, just like the first time, actually samples a similar drum type drum line as well when you listen to it um oh yeah there's there's many there's a lot of steps tracks in the early days that that have this in some way like that sound it's That's so cool. iconic of like that late 90s you know production it's very good pwl yeah yes yeah. very very and you know 
music video, iconic, oh. fun fact that I think people know, the cat suit that Claire wears in the video is the same cat suit she wore on the audition day for Steps, that blue stripy cat suit. Very true, it So was. that was obviously a good luck charm for her and she wanted to get her money's nice. worth. Brilliant cosplay wear. Track number three, five, six, seven, eight. I mean, I think so much has been spoken about this. We all know it. It was the debut single. It peaked at number 14 in the UK. Number one, Down Under, who, fun fact, we gave them their first ever number one and we never (laughs) forget it. Number two in Belgium, 22 in the Netherlands, number two in New Zealand, nine in Scotland, 17 in Sweden, and number one on the UK indie charts. We will take it. And in the UK, this song holds the record as one of the biggest selling singles that never, ever entered the UK top 10. And in an interview with The Guardian in 2021, Claire said, When I auditioned for Steps, we had to dance to a demo of 5678. I remember thinking, thank God it's a line dance. I wasn't a trained dancer and learning a proper routine would have probably scuppered my chances. But after the management told me I'd made it, they said, that's going to be the first single. I was like, oh no, line dancing was something your mum did. I was 19 and wanted to go clubbing. When we recorded the final version, we all went in to sing our vocals separately. In those days, we were still on tape, so you had to wait for this massive (laughs) machine to rewind. All the girls' voices are really heavily layered, so there's no distinct voices on the song. Lee did the rap section because H raps with a Welsh accent. I die to hear that. I I so want to hear this demo, and it's funny because H mentioned in the iconic reach for the stars book which if you haven't read it yet you need to do yourself a favor h said regarding the demo that in the original version of five six seven eight he sung the whole middle eight lisa did the answer phrase bit but the lyrics were so bad oh my gosh i'm so glad it was cut in the end like i need to hear this version and i'm i'm also curious as well with this song because it's been mentioned time and time again something that pete waterman has said a lot is that the original version like demo version of five six seven eight was very similar to Kylie's I Should Be So Lucky. And I'm just thinking, when I listen to this song, I can't, I can't, can either of you hear that, like, in some way? No, I can't at all. It feels very much its own thing in both music at the time, Steps' discography, 1998 discography, like, it just feels very unique. And I think it's because of PWL's production in terms of how they they beat the track up and made into a techno record. I think that's what saved it. Yeah, because when they made it into a techno record, it sounds more akin to Cotton Eye Joe. Do you know what I mean? Like yes, that country. which was massive at the time. Which was huge, yeah. So, yeah, so speaking of, yeah, Pete has always said it sounded very similar to I Should Be So Lucky. And on that, he said when he played the demo of 5678 to the, his co-producers, who hated it, they thought I'd lost my marbles. Their reaction was, oh my God, we want to hit, but not at this price. It was so bad that we that they all said, we're not putting our name on that. So that's why if you look at the credits of the song, there's only one name listed as the producer, and that's Pete. The original version was so close to Kylie's I Should Be So Lucky. So what happened, and this made the song, is that we beat the track up and made it a techno record, not a cowboy record. When I heard the final version, I just went, it's brilliant, it's Aberon Speed. So that's where that Aberon Speed quote first came into fruition from 5678, which 
quite frankly, I can't hear the other on speed on five, six, seven, eight. If I'm honest, I always think more like it's last thing in my mind or even mm. one for sorrow. I don't hear that in five, six, seven, eight as but, much as you do on the other tracks. But see, that's where he coined the phrase in the recording studio, but it wasn't ever probably really said in public when they promoted the song. It was when Last Thing On My Mind came out, they really started promoting that Aberon Speed brand because they even referenced that with their, you know, their head faces, you know, that, that iconic, the iconic headshots head faces, that Aber yes. does. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, the side profile and the front-on profile face um, shots that they that Aber have done in their film clips, which they referenced in Last Thing On My Mind. So, yeah. I mean, I think we hoped to be successful with 5678, but in the UK, mm. it was in the charts for, is this oh, right, weeks. 17 I weeks? I don't know. And its highest position was 14. 14. I think it still holds the record yep. for the longest um, record in the charts that didn't it hit. Never enter top no, 10. the highest. Mm -hmm. Go on. Yeah, the highest yeah. one. The longest. Hold on. Oh God. No, the biggest selling, that was it, the biggest selling of that year that never got into the top ten. That's, right. oh. <laughs> That's what it is. Oh, no, but I've one here. What, how, what do you guys feel, you know, there's always a lot of talk about 5678 about, you know, obviously compared to all of their other songs that it's, it's, you know, not that great. In the past, the band have said that they've been embarrassed to perform it at times, but now they embrace it. How do you feel about the track now compared to back then? Because I know, Shane, you definitely... You've said you weren't the biggest fan of it back in the day, but has your opinion changed on it now 25 years later? Yeah, it actually has. I'm like the band. Like, I appreciate it more now than I did. And there was a period where I wouldn't even listen to it and I'd be like, oh, no, this is, this, no, this is not for me. I appreciate it more now because it uh, of what came from it. So, mm. you know, if 5678 wasn't there, then we wouldn't have what we have with Steps. And I wouldn't have the wonderful memories that I have with Steps. And I have a lot of memories with 5, 6, 7, 8. And, and it's kind of, you know, it, it's a, for people who, who don't know Steps that much, it's the bridge for me to talk to, to them about Steps. It's what hooks them in and they go, oh, yeah, I know that. And, you know, and I can then talk more about it if they know that song and then they ask me more questions and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, while it's not my favourite and I didn't like it that much to start off with, I don't. I care for it now in, in, a, in a way. To me, what I love about 5678 now is seeing how other people respond to it. So I went to see Spice Girls, like a tribute show at Crown last year. And this was one of the songs that played in the interlude and the audience went wild for it. Like a thousand people, not just because it's not just gay guys. It's also middle class women that love this song. And, you know, just seeing the audience go mad. It just, it, again, I felt embraced in that moment. It was lovely. And also the work that Steve Anderson has done with the different versions and mixing it up. I think that for me is what has made me love the song again. It's not a song I play like out of choice a lot of the time, but when I listen to the album in its entirety today, it, it fits and it makes sense and, it, and I quite enjoyed it. But I think Steve, what he's done over the years on the tours mm. reinventing it has has made me fall in love with it i loved the version on party on the dance floor i thought that Full was cowboy. just like love it he'd just done oh my god if you're gonna do it go all out with it and mm. i think it was an incredible job love the groovers in the heart mashup as well on the uh, future holds tour but yeah the party on the dance floor version chef's kiss my Romeo, Romeo, 
I'm excited for more iterations of this song because, it, you know, they've performed it so many times that they have to mix it up and all that sort of stuff. But I'm excited to see what he does next. Shall we move on to track number four? Track number four, One for Sorrow. Now, obviously, this was this was their third... Oh, my God. This was their third single, Another Tongue Twister, which peaked at number two in the UK, the first of many, number 34 in Australia, one in Belgium, We Love You, Belgium, 26 in Canada, or on the Canadian dance chart, sorry, number four in Ireland, 24 in the Netherlands, 13 in New Zealand, love that for New Zealand, number two in Scotland, thank you, Scotland, number 34 in Sweden, and number 38 on the US Dance Club Songs Chart. I think that might be the Tony Moran's remix, but we're not 100% sure. Yes, yes. And I think the Canadian Dance Chart probably would have been as well. Yeah, I imagine. Actually, no, I think in Kanda it was released earlier. I think Kanda was um, the original version. Now, One for Sorrow has been commonly referred to as their winner-takes-it-all moment. It was written by Mark Topham and Carl Twig uh, and Lance Ellington. Uh, Lance also, we know that Topham and Twig have a long history with the band, but for those who didn't know, Lance went on to co-write with uh, Topham and Twig on After the Love is Gone and I Think It's Love. He also co-wrote Sweet Lies by Ellie Campbell. Icon. Where Ellie Campbell? Icon. Do you know, I was listening to her album the other day because it's on Spotify now. And just like, bops. Um, don't yeah. want you back is a bop. I think it did well in Australia, didn't it? Didn't it go top just 20? Side note. Shane's like, who the hell Team is Sims. that? <laughs> gonna, <laughs> gonna educate you later, Shane. I'll send you the link. I Great probably album. know. I probably, I'm, I'm yeah. struggling to think of the song and put the face to the name when you yeah. say the name, yeah. but I probably know it. So, so Claire said in uh, Reach for the Stars, Michael Craig's amazing book. That One for Sorrow started to prove to people that we weren't going anywhere and that we could release serious music. And she was not wrong. Uh, Steve Anderson also said in that book that um, when One for Sorrow came out, everyone was like, oh, it's ABBA. But what that did was remind people about ABBA. And this was um, before Mamma Mia and all of that. And a few weeks after One for Sorrow came out, ABBA's greatest hits went back to number one. So... Um, and the funny story about the recording of One for Sorrow is uh, that Claire's mum thought that they had been drugging Claire to keep her awake because she was in the studio till 2.30 a.m. <laughs> she was like, no, mum, it's just very, it's just a very late session. We're all very tired, but that's a true story. She thought she was on speed to stay awake. Let's hear Claire talk about the recording of One for Sorrow and that actual story of the producers thinking she was on drugs to stay awake on Steve Anderson's podcast, Such a Good Feeling. And it was one of the last songs we recorded for the album. Mm. And I'd been there and I used to just go and sit and wait to be told that I was needed. Yeah. And because I still lived at home with my mum and dad, I didn't have a boyfriend or anything. So I had no reason to not be there. So I'd just sit and wait. Mm. And generally we would get given a tape and we'd have to go downstairs into the, not, it wasn't even the bunker. It was just like a, it's a really odd room. There was a tape machine and you, I just have to sit, play the tape, rewind it, play it all manually. It wasn't quick. It was like, <laughs> yeah. And then play it again. Um, and I, I think they were still upstairs writing it while I was sat waiting pretty much all day. And then I was wow. given it, I think I learned it in about an hour, went upstairs and recorded it. I, I remember not getting home till like four o'clock that morning and my mum was going mental. She thought they were giving me drugs to keep me away. <laughs> <laughs> she actually rang the studio and just asked me what they were giving me to keep me awake. I was like, mum, I'm just working <laughs> absolutely not doing drugs to stay awake 
Pete Waterman also said on One for Sorrow that we could have had a number one with that song if we'd done if we'd done discounting. If we were number one or number three, we didn't care because we wanted to build a fan, fan that base. That is very and true. Interesting and interesting because I read like Pete said before, like they never discounted any of the singles ever. It was like if you want Pay the full song, price. <laughs> you've got to go and buy it. If whether it's two pounds or four pounds or whatever, they never discounted at Woolworths and things like that, which. You know, it never hit And them. also, but this was actually called out when I was looking through um, the Gen Steps archives, this was called out a number of times by the fans being like, this is why the song is not getting to number one. So, like, the fans were Because of the discounting. Yeah, the fans were aware of it. Mm. It was definitely a well, talk about Who were they up against as well? Wasn't there a... Manic Street Preachers right. beat them to number one and... They also beat them to number one on the album's chart yeah. for Step 1 a few weeks and later. And also 20-odd yeah. years later again with oh, What the Future yes. Holds Part 2s. Part 2. And it, was, it got down to, yes. what, like 200 copies at one point the day before? It was two, There was 200 yeah. copies between them. Yeah. It, it eventually got a little bit further out when yeah. the album came out. Well, yeah, Shane and I bought 200 <laughs> copies to help them. <laughs> <laughs> we laugh because it's true. It's true. And just quickly, Faye mentions as well in the Gold Book that she actually prefers the Tony Moran remix, but I wonder if she still holds that same view now. I mean, I think we, I've said this before. I have no shame to say this, that I would, I love, I mean, I love the original. Of course, it's the most beautiful song. And again, the versions that Steve has done over the years with it has just taken it to another level. But if I just want to casually listen to One for Sorrow, I do go to the Tony Moran mix more than the original. And I, just because I, I just, I love a bop and the Tony Moran version is just a bop, you know? Yeah, I, I'm, the, I'm the same as you, Scott. I'd probably favour the Tony Moran remix more, especially the extended remix because sometimes I like a bit of a longer bop and like a bit of a, bit of a drum intro. Yeah, when you're, doing, when you're doing your concert in your living room, you like a long intro <laughs> to like, you know, an entrance. <laughs> when you're performing to Tiger, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, when I'm performing to my cat, you know, she's yeah, screaming at me. Got the extended Tony Around me remix going on. Do you think part of that is because, I know this is the way it feels for me, I feel like, t- and we talked about it in episode four, we left them in Thailand. Do you think it's because One for Sorrow, the US mix, was pushed more as a single here? Whereas when One for Sorrow came out, it was more about the album. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. 100%. Yeah. 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 It was like, you know, we've said it before that, you know, the original version of One for Sorrow, it was released at the same time as the album. Lasting My Mind was still doing its thing, so it wasn't prominently out there, but it did help sell the album here. But yeah, it was that US mix that was released here twice as a single, essentially. It was released with After Love Has Gone and then with Chain Reaction. So we definitely got th- that mix more and it was heard more and seen more than the original. I um was overseas when this was released. I was in Germany um, when this was released. So it did come across, the original version did come across the radio a little bit. I was listening to the original version and then sort of came back to Australia and there wasn't really much talk about One for Sorrow at all because it didn't really have its moment until the dance, like until the Tony Moran remix came out a little bit later and that's when I reconnected with it again. And so I sort of had, for me, like almost like, it feels like two releases, if that makes sense. Can we just shout out Chris Fox again for the remake or the reimagining of the Steps 25 version, sorry, of this song, the 25th anniversary um, that came out last year because it's just like in that glorious colour in, you know, the extra dance break video that we got with them, them just performing the dance. Uh, it just is magnificent. So thank you, Chris. We love your work and please continue to do it more. 
think even now, even when I listened to it earlier, I still haven't really taken a moment to actually appreciate the original version of One for Sorrow on its own. I've always associated it with... So the first time I saw it was in the video. And, at, you know, being a child, I guess my favourite member was Lisa and it didn't have a lot of Lisa, as she herself would note. But um, so I didn't really focus too much on it. So I still really... I definitely... I don't know. I still can't. There's something, uh, yeah, there's something not missing, but I just haven't connected. Like, I appreciate that it's done so much for Steps' career. Is it my favorite track? No. I wish that I loved it more. I can definitely see there are elements of it that I did really, that I could really see myself loving. But for some reason, I don't know. Maybe it's just, I'm not as much of an ABBA fan. Maybe that's why. And it's such an ABBA tribute. Yeah, whereas Shane and I, like we've said this, we love we love ABBA. And I was very much, I came across ABBA in their resurgence in the 90s with the Gold album and became obsessed with ABBA before Steps. So it was only natural that I was going to love Steps because I loved ABBA. So I really connected with this song, I think, because of that. Also, I've never said this. I didn't, I just thought of this. Um, one of the other things that I think of with this video is I remember Saturday morning, sitting in the front room watching Rage because you know how they'd play the top yeah. 50. And you, if you wanted to see the videos from like number 50 or whatever, you had to get up really early, something. like 5.36 in the morning. And I remember sitting in the front room watching this video and my dad woke up and came into the front room and he was in agony because he had kidney <laughs> stones. And so for some reason, I just had this memory of sitting watching this video in the front room and then him being in pain with kidney stones. He really was one for sorrow. <laughs> and I remember, I'm, I'm, I can remember watching, like seeing the videos playing and he's like in pain and I'm just like, I'm watching steps. Like, you know, I'm sorry you're like in pain. <laughs> it's another cool memory unlocked. So I guess we'll move on to track five and track five is a lovely favorite of mine, Heartbeat. Um, it was written solely by Jackie James, who also wrote for Kylie, J-Lo and Celine Dion. Pete Waterman has said that it was written and sat in the drawer for years before Steps eventually recorded it in 1998. This million-selling single was a double A-side with Tragedy and pegged at number one in the UK, number 10 in Australia, number 10 in Greece, number two in Ireland, 22 in the Netherlands, number one in New Zealand, number one in Scotland, number four in Sweden, uh, it also was the 12th best-selling single in the UK of 1998 and the 19th best-selling single in the UK of 1999 as well. Heartbeat, for me, I think I touched on it a little bit earlier, is the song that helped me through that little moment when I was feeling a bit bullied and sad and homesick when I was overseas. But it is a song that is on regular rotation now. Um, funnily enough, I'm compiling a list of top 20 step songs for me and a friend to talk about when we go overseas, when we're in the villa for a week in Ibiza. And it's up, it's definitely in the top like seven heartbeat is for me. So I, it's just, it's beautiful. I love the moment steps have on stage when they do, it, especially in these later years, um, because they really appreciate and with everything that they've been through as a band and as a group of friends for 25 years, it's a real moment for them. Like you see in the Brighton performance when they're performing it, H is holding Claire's hand. Yeah, that and, was beautiful you know, when they did that. I yeah. love that And he looks at moment. Lisa and he goes, wow, and he mouths wow because he can see the audience. And it's a real moment for them to sit back and just, you know, uh, be in the moment and sing a beautiful song with some beautiful lyrics. And they always have 
you know, a, a great time with it. When Faye came back, when I saw them do it in 2001, at sorry, 2021, at the What the Future Holds tour, and Faye had have been off for quite a few performances with COVID and it was her first performance back and she came back on and did her lyrics. Everyone was just, when she started singing her part, everyone's just like, oh, you know, it was, it was good. It was a moment. I'm really glad that this song is appreciated now because I feel for a long time it was overshadowed by tragedy. And when people think of the number one, they think of tragedy and stomp, but people forget this was a number one single. Like, okay, I know tragedy was probably the bigger song of the two but this was still a number one single and it is a beautiful beautiful song and it reminds me of Christmas it reminds me of Christmas 98 and it just I remember the performance on top of the pops and I learned the dance routine you know very simple dance routine I just think it's a beautiful song and I'm really glad that it now has its moment because for so long I really felt like it was hidden away and overshadowed by the success of tragedy. And I just think it's a, yeah, everyone has their moment. The video is hilarious, you know, so camp, like just, no, wouldn't you'd have better effects, but I love like the CGI. Wouldn't be done. Three words for you. Lisa's high kick. Lisa's high kick. Kicking (laughs) that that ice cream. That thing was camp. It was just camp. That was. Because this is a bit of a bit of a slowy, and it's coming up to winter, we wanted to kind of do something a bit different, but still fun. So we wanted to be able to do a bit of acting, didn't we? Yeah, there's actually um, a bit more to the story. This may not look like a winter wonderland just yet, but we've got lots of fake snow and stuff. So uh, by the time this video is finished, it should look beautiful. Um, this is where we start our video in this sledge, and me and the rest of Steps are going off back to our log cabin, where we're going to have a party to warm ourselves. Up. So here we go. Brad, I know for you, tragedy is where steps really came into your rep- not repertoire, but like into your sphere. So heartbeat was packaged with that. But do you associate that, or is it is heartbeat like what Scott just said, overshadowed because of tragedy? When I think of heartbeat, I think about and bear with me here. I think about COVID. I think about COVID and I think about how much the song lyrics really hit me during COVID about people being a heartbeat away. And I love what Steve did with Heartbeat 25 on the What the Future Holds tour and how like you are only a heartbeat away. And like when it slows down to just the heartbeat, it's such a moment. And you just know the band will feel it because like in that document, in the documentary for the What the Future Holds tour, like we see like, they weren't allowed to do anything with anyone. They weren't allowed to socialize. They were, they were barred. Normally this is like a, t- a big tour is a big celebration time. Their family gets to see them. The family might've seen them. They didn't get to talk to them afterwards. Cause they would be trying to be so careful. And so you could just see when they performed it, how much that moment meant to them that they couldn't be with the people they loved, you know? And that would have been, I mean, again, I guess, Interestingly, we talked a lot about how Steps, you know, were such a comfort for us in times of need. I think Heartbeat was a bit of a song for them in their time of need when they couldn't be with their family. I think that was their moment in each show to actually reconnect and <clears throat> connect to the people that they, that they loved. So that's why I just, I love that extra sense of meaning it has now since that tour. That adds to what I was just saying before about when Faye, because like I saw them do the Brighton show that she was not at and then the first London show 
which she was not at, but then she came back for the second London show. So I saw two shows before she came back from COVID where she it was just the four of them. And then when she came back for the for the second London show, which was the one they filmed for the DVD, that was the one Lee was off. So when that song came on with the, you know, redoing of it, redoing of it uh, f- from Steve Anderson with the actual boom, boom, heartbeat moment, and then her back on doing her vocals, it was just this, like, amazing emotional moment. You are only I also just wanted to touch on quickly that iconic performance that All Stars did in 2001. I don't know if either of you have ever seen it. They're on Stars in Their Eyes and they, they so Stars in Their Eyes. That, Brad, I'm surprised you've never seen this. I, like, I, I probably have, but like, I probably, you know, skipped through it. Like, I don't really remember it. So Stars in Their Eyes, for anyone who doesn't know, it was a UK show back in the day where um, everyday people would go and they would like they'd be like i want to be j-lo and then they would like dress up as j-lo and they would sing a j-lo song like j-lo and they'd have their moment of being j-lo and claire did it um in the first era she did the karen carpenter um performance yeah. but yeah all stars who were a pop group kind of similar to s club they did steps on stars in your eyes they full dressed up in the steps outfits like with the dreads and everything the whole like outfits it's iconic look it up on youtube we'll insert clip here Should we move on to track number six and the first of a non-single that we are going to talk about, This Heart Will Love Again, written by Andrew Frampton and Pete Waterman. I have a funny little story to to say about this song because um, for the longest time when I was a kid, there is a lyric in this song that I thought said something else. So you know the <laughs> lyric, the second verse where Lisa sings... Wish there was something more that I like. Wish that there was something more that I could say to make my heart forget. The way, if you listen to it, and now that I'm saying this, you you probably hear it. I always thought that she said to make my heart gay. <laughs> <laughs> to make yeah, because she goes very gay. high in that. Bitch. Like I always thought that was what she was saying <laughs> as a kid. Because she goes really high on that note. I think that you so, you projecting yourself onto that, babes. That's what I think. That's you just projecting your inner self there. <laughs> This is a it's just a cute little bop. It's very P 
PWL, this song. Yes, it is. And there's a key change leading into each of the first choruses too, which is very PWL, very Stock Aitman and Waterman. Um, and Better the Devil You Know famously employs a similar strategy as well with that key change. So, boys, thoughts on this Heart Will Love Again? Do you hear what I hear with those lyrics? No. <laughs> but I'm going to go back after this episode and try and hear it. Um, maybe because when I was listening to this, I was like trying not to be gay i don't know who knows um it's a it's a nice it's a nice track it's a very uh lovely track i i, I don't have it's a many pleasant song no 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 it's 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 i don't skip it but it's not one that i play often either but it's a very like exactly what you've you've said there scott it's very um stock and waterman um and with the key changes and everything like that i i um enjoy it when it comes on well look i you can probably guess that I do skip it because the next track is my favourite. But my one question to you both is, do we think that Steps is singing the bit where they go, now that you're gone? Um, as in like, the harmonies. Oh, the harmonies. Yeah. Now that you're gone. I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah I think, I yeah. believe that. See, this is what, when listening to this album again today in its entirety from start to finish... I really noticed the harmonies a lot yeah. um, with all of these tracks and steps. Oh, like it, they can harmonize amazingly and they don't get enough credit for that as a band. When they harmonize together, it's just oh, chef's kiss, you know, like they, they really can. I agree with you. And I think they do do it. My question is, I am not convinced that they're doing it on this album. I think a lot of this is just um, the top line. And I think some of the backing tracks might, maybe because they're in a rush or whatever. I do wonder for this track and for um, Two Weeks to Resist, the little, like the choir bit. I just, that's no, my question. No, I reckon they do it. And then they layer the tracks like what ABBA does. Um it said we said earlier in one of these where the girl like in one of the interviews the girls tracks were layered for five six seven eight so the girls come in and record their their vocals for it everyone comes in and records their harmony vocals for it and then they layer that same harmony on top which sounds like many people but it's actually not that's how they and do look, it Brad given you make a good point because it was very it was very PWL back or you know stock and waterman back in the day for them to do that it wasn't uncommon for them to just have like session singers backing tracks and things like that as well so i can hearing this you could kind of go well it could have been we don't know but i i probably it might be in the booklet i was i I, I, I genuinely don't know i was having a look and i couldn't um see anything but a lot of the times as well those things aren't credited um but Mm, there's no yeah there's nothing it would be cheaper for them to layer the track yeah, like, because yeah. they've got five vocalists already that they can layer, as opposed to getting additional vocalists to do more backing. But I'm saying Shane that they might have like there would have been a demo and maybe they just kept it kept it what was on the demo possible. Yeah, that too. Yeah, they probably could. They probably used all of it. To be honest, they probably used it's probably a mongrel of a record. <laughs> but the band, like we definitely, there's no argument that the band can and do harmonize amazingly. We've heard it all their later stuff at their live performances. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I just question whether perhaps they might, due to time or whatever, maybe it wasn't used in this one. Because I can hear Claire in those that that beat Brad you mentioned. I can hear Claire. I can hear. I can definitely hear because Claire's got that distinct tone. I can definitely hear it. So it probably is just a layered track. Like Shane said, but who we don't know. I mean, it could it could not be. We don't you know. 
who knows brad i can see i can see i'm like i'm trying to get through this track because i know you're excited <laughs> brad what is the next track we're going to talk about oh god track seven experienced she was older <laughs> Older by years, she was. She was. (laughs) Commonly referred to as Track 7 in the Steps fandom. Now, fun fact, Steps, we all know Steps weren't the first to record it, but they weren't even the second. Uh, This did the PWL rounds for a while before it landed on Step 1. It was first recorded by the Barrier Boys, Double Z, in 1993, but that remains officially unreleased. It is available on a 1995 Stock Aiken Waterman demo CD entitled Unpolished Diamonds, which is available, or maybe it was done via BMG Records. I don't know. If you find it, send me a copy. Uh, in 1994, it then appeared on the World's Apart album Together. It was written by Mike Stock and Pete Waterman. And, I mean, where do we start with... I, like, I covered this in the last... Well, this should have been a single episode as well, because I just... Like, were the band not interviewed back in 1998 about the album tracks? Like, I don't know how they got away with this. Do you know, upon listening to this album again today and over the course of the last few days, when I got to this track, and we've spoken about this before, uh, my my opinion has changed. This would this was a pleasant track back in the day for me. It would be one that I would be like, oh, I'm just let that play, or I might just skip, right? But listening to it with my forty-year-old ears, um, I um, actually quite like it and appreciate it for what it is. Um, I want to see a version of it now where H makes it for him. Um, I want to see him perform it on the tour, and it starts with "He was older, not she was older." Yes, and make it his. I want to see some type of choir behind it. Um, I mean, we'll probably never get this, but this is what I want to see. The harmonies really highlight, and like, are really highlighted in the back of this track. And contrary to what you said before, Brad, in track six, is I I do actually believe all the harmonies are steps on on all of these tracks. I wouldn't be surprised if there's elements of the demo included as well, just to beef it up. Upon listening to it again, I <laughs> I don't mind it as a song. It's actually kind of, um, but I think now it should have a re- reimagining. I think that would be cool. This song was released in this time and it was released in like what you said, Shane, where, you know, you're changing the lyrics and things like that. I don't know that there would be as much like, you know, I mean, the fandom, it's such a thing with this song. I actually think it would be received differently because obviously when this was released in 1998, the audience was children. I had no idea what this song was about. I mm. did not know. That. I'm just yeah. like experience, yeah. Like mm. you know, they, you know, <laughs> cool. They, she became experienced in like what? I don't know. Like making coffee. I didn't know what she's experienced. Like he's mm. experienced in, you know. And actually, that that makes me think of that's a point that I forgot to make when I was saying, is this song was put into the album along with Too Weak to Resist and This Heart Will Love Again, but more so Too Weak to Resist and Experienced to highlight the maturity of their vocals and yeah. that steps aren't just about bubblegum pop. 
I would love what you've just said, Shane. I would love to see a reimagining of this track with a choir behind it and, you know, H owning the lyrics on, you know, and saying he instead of she. And I think it, because lyrically, I think it's actually a good, so the lyrics are good, but it just was very strange for a band whose audiences was children to be singing about lyrical content like this, the day I became experienced. You're literally saying the day I had sex. Like that's literally <laughs> what the lyrics are saying. And again, as a kid, I didn't know that. I'm like, oh, he's experienced. That's good. Like, I didn't know what that means. But I think now it could take on a whole different meaning if it was reimagined. Brad, it's the it's the theme song for your life. Go on, tell us. I do wonder. I was I had a little bit think. It's almost like there's no. It's so it's done so straight. There's no like knowing winks. There's nothing in it. It's like it's almost so earnest that it kind of goes full circle and becomes camp because they're so serious about it in the recording. And also the fact that H sings it, and obviously, like, we didn't know then what we know now and all that kind of stuff. It reminds me of my girlfriend who lives in Canada from Avenue Q. Wow, that's a reference. And that it's a little bit like, it's protesting yep. too much. Oh, I like that reference there. Avenue Q is one of my favourite musicals. So track seven should have been a single. Tell us about the next track. So speaking of uh, the next track, which is track eight, that's called Too Weak to Resist. This song was written by Andrew Frampton and Pete Waterman. It was performed prior to the album release on CD UK and was a B-side to One for Sorrow. It also has a video for it made on as part of Steps the Video. For me, this track is another lovely album track. Back in the day, I was like, oh yeah, this is nice. This is Let's just get to Better Best Forgotten. But I listen to it now with different ears and more mature ears and more appreciation and more absolute deep love for Steps. And so I, I enjoy the harmonies, like I said, and I just enjoy the song for what it is. And the like the performance on City UK is fun. Camp. <laughs> As is the video where Correct. they just what are they I can't remember. They're just on a they don't do it. They're just there's sitting a, there, right? And there's a backdrop of like stars. It's just a backdrop. They didn't they didn't even bother to make an H D version of it. I yeah. didn't love that. They did it for Love You More, but yeah, they just I was like, waiting nah, for, for it. Chris is still waiting on that H D version. Um I've got two main thoughts about this and I've already forgotten the second one. Oh no, the the first one is about again as you just kind of mentioned about the maturity of it, to go from a song about losing your virginity to a song where the first lyrics are about the H being married, you know? That's what I'm saying. It's just highlighting their maturity. We, we stood there and pledged eternal love. Like, again, very, you know, heavy stuff. This is the adult portion of the album where the adults have bought it for the kids, but they're putting it on and the kids are bored after after hearing the first five songs that they love and this is the album's still on and the adults, are, this is their part of the album, yeah. This is like the uh, this is the this is like the play school moment for the for the adults. You know, in play school where there's like bits that are really filthy and the kids don't understand it. This is that for step. This yes. is the <laughs> the play school moment for the adults. The thing I love about the song is that I am a slut for key change, and that key change into the final chorus is just heavenly. at this as like the male version of one for sorrow i've always thought of this as like more so than i think maybe you said experience but i i always look at this as like h's version of one for sorrow would have loved to have had lee on this track as well kind of does irk me a little bit like it's you know i'm not 
not being negative or anything, but these two songs, um, Experience in Two Weeks, which is, would have been nice to have had Lee on there. I don't see why he couldn't have been on the second verse of Too Weak to Resist or just would have been nice to hear him a little bit more. That would have been, that would have been nice, but you know, is what it is. He's talked previously that like a lot of the songs are in like H can get to the girls keeper that yeah. he can't just with his yeah. voice. So it could have just been like literally a key issue that it didn't sound right when he tried it. I'm sure there's, there's the versions of that they've got with Lee having his own moment and it probably just sounds better with, with what we got, but I agree with you. Like to see more on a lot of, like to see Lee more on, on a lot of tracks, to be honest. So whenever Lee has a moment on a track, I'm all like, yeah, you know, I really appreciate it. Even on the second verse of two week, like there's a, there's a fair bit where H is like not straining, but he's really like singing quite a bit. Like it's not just like an easy kind of melody. It's like, he's like, using the top part of his voice and maybe Lee just, you know, it just didn't work when Lee did it. That's all. But, and, but at the end of the day, the, the song is what matters. And that, I mean, the same with one for sorrow really It's just whatever, whatever does the song, the best service is what you should do. Should we move on to track number nine? Whoa. 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 Insert, insert sound clip right Yeah. <laughs> You can do the intro for all the songs. Um, track number nine, Better Best Forgotten. As we all know, this was the final single lifted from step one and it peaked, debuted and peaked at number two in the UK, certified gold, number two in Scotland, number eight in Ireland, number 20 in Belgium and 77 in the Netherlands. And criminally, as we know, as we spoke about in our second episode, was not released in Australia, so is there is no chart position, unfortunately, down under. It was written by Andrew Frampton and Mr. Pete Waterman, and the single mix was given a little bit of a slight makeover compared to the original album version, and with noticeably kind of like a fuller, I always think of the single mix, it's just got more of a fuller overall sound, and there's some additional ad-libs from Lisa as well. Our friends over at Can't Stop the Pop, who we absolutely love and adore, they said that perhaps more significantly regarding this single mix, that the original ending was the point at which Better Best Forgotten was most ABBA-esque in its delivery. To abandon it was a symbolic gesture that steps were ready to stand firmly on their own two feet, or ten feet, should I say. Famously, during the recording of this music video as well, we can't forget that a glass wall fell on Faye and sprayed splinters of glass everywhere. And as quoted in Steps the Book by Claire, she said, I heard a big crash, but I just thought the caterers had dropped something upstairs. <laughs> I felt awful when I found out what had happened. Faye said, I didn't actually get hurt by the wall, but I got loads of glass splinters in my bum. I had to lie down while someone shone a torch on my bottom and the paramedics picked out all these splinters with tweezers. How embarrassing. Oh, poor Faye. I remember reading about this at the time, actually. Um, I remember this this glass brick wall thing falling on Faye being in like a Smash Hits magazine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that was really the only exposure to Better Best Forgotten we kind of got here in Australia was like through Smash Hits 
like it was a proposed single, but that never happened. And um, I think maybe seeing, uh, I remember seeing the dance and the to this on top of the pops. I remember seeing the dance on that, um, and not really seeing a film clip for it for quite some time. I think maybe YouTube is. Wasn't really around then, but no, maybe I it mean, came the, out. Nineteen ninety eight, nine. Daily internet, YouTube. <laughs> gold DVD. Gold, gold DVD. No, sorry. I saw the clip, film clip before the gold DVD, but I think maybe it was. Um, you could download it like on web. Yeah, I think that's right. I think I downloaded it. Yeah, or I saw it like on Gen Steps, probably because like uploaded to one of their websites. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is. I mean, I love this song. Um, it's 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 a great track of theirs. It's you know the right end single, um, but you know we've already spoken about what could have been another single in its place um, coming up. It's a great steps iconic song. Everyone knows the you know the whoa at the start. It's yeah, it's quintessential steps. And I think with the success of this song, because tragedy and heartbeat had been so massive, I think that definitely played a part in this kind of like continuing on with that big success. I think a lot, a big part to play with this being so big because people forget this. So this is a gold selling single. This sold like, you know, nearly half a million copies in the UK. It was a really big seller. And mm. I, it's, it's their fifth yeah, biggest selling single. So I, you know, it's, it's really well loved and it's such, it's just, I love a bop as we know. So to me, this mm. is just a bop. I love the single mix. I love, I love um, Lisa's like additional ad libs in there as well, where she, you know, what, where, what's she doing? She, uh, where she does the extra better, best forgotten, like in the background. Yeah, Leading to the barrel yeah, yeah. chorus. And Can't Stop the Pop made a great reference about that, that in the album version, it kind of, um, it ends quite uh, definitively. Um, and it is quite, I'd never, th- I'd never thought about the ABBA thing, but it really is how a lot of ABBA songs would end. It really does have that, sound so it's interesting that they picked up on that that it was like no for the single mix we don't need that we're gonna you know make it our own if you could re-record a step song which one would it be (gasps) oh i know mine well none of them clearly because they're all fabulously vocaled by myself oh whatever (laughs) (laughs) no but pick one for any reason at all oh god i don't know um oh do you know what i think Better, best forgotten. I was going to say the same. Uh, really? Yeah, it was. Yeah, go on. It's for, probably for the same reasons. Yeah, just because I think we did it once on on a really small theatre tour we did with a band, and we did it as a ballad, and it worked so well because I think the melody and the chords of the verses and chorus is actually really good. Mm-hmm. But we were <clears throat> the woes as we shall call them. Um, the chant. There was some, yeah, there was something done to them because it's not our natural voices, let's be honest, no, that made us like sound like... Mickey yeah, and Minnie Mouse. We sound, yeah, we sound like chipmunks. We sound like Alvin and Theodore. <laughs> Theodore. <laughs> <laughs> um, and whenever I hear those, it does make me cringe, but the rest of the song, I actually, as a song, because it's got those lovely minor keys in it and... Um, minor chords, sorry, not keys, and and it, it it is actually a really nice song to sing. So I would probably say Better Best Forgotten. And I was actually thinking, um, my thoughts on Better Best Forgotten. I don't think about Better Best Forgotten. It, it's Better Best Forgotten. It's yeah. Better Best Forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> I do have something to say actually. I like it in. Oh no, and I said this before as well. I like it when it was used in Steps Reunion. I thought that was really nice. 
Yes, and I do love they did a ballad version of this on the um, little Christmas tour they did in 2012, which, if you haven't heard that, beautiful rendition of it's more acoustic. Moving on, track 10, one of my personal favourites actually, Back To You. This is Now this is actually the first song that was just written by Topham and Twig for Steps that, that is on the album. It might not have been the first song they ever wrote for them, but this is the first Topham and Twig only song done by Steps. And um, I first heard it on the video as well. Again, I probably got, in retrospect, I probably got the video before the album, which is starting to make sense now. But um, it was played, I remember it was played underneath the um, the early days section. I remember that being like really clear. And I remember like Claire's voice is actually overlaid over the bit where Claire's in like the musical when she was in high school. And I thought it was Claire singing. I got very confused because like the miming sounded, looked very similar. But I love this track. I think it's a bit, it's just a bop. It's, you know, a bit, it's a mid-tempo bop. But I, I would love to see like a dance routine. And I think it kind of gets overlooked sometimes. I prefer it to Better Best Forgotten as just a song in general. But, yeah, no, I it, it can stay. I'm happy. I like it there. I think this should have been a single, actually. And I don't know if we talked about this in that episode, um, but I I reckon this could have... We did, did yeah. Talk, I, yeah, you did talk about it. This could have been yeah. a single in my eyes. I, I really... Again, it's a bop. I love a bop. I remember, and I think I've said this as well before, when I first heard Tragedy, because I was confused as to... Like, do I, I didn't realize it wasn't on the album. And I remember going back into my bedroom, playing this album after I heard Tragedy, trying to find it on the album. And because I'd only heard Tragedy once, I couldn't exactly remember how it completely went. And I thought Back to You was Tragedy for like a minute. I was like, I think this is maybe the song. So, yeah, that's what I always refer to when I think of this, thinking it was Tragedy. Like, when do I <laughs> yeah, do the Tragedy yeah, move? Yeah. Um, for me, Back to You... Uh, <sighs> It's not a pleasant song, but it's it's a song that is very 1998. Like I listen to it now and I'm like, it's a product of its time. Um, I would love to hear a 2023 version of this song. I think the lyrics are fine. I like the lyrics. I think the production is very stuck in the past. Um, and upon listening to it again, you know, this week and today, I'm like, oh, you know, it's not bad. It's probably the most skippable for me. Um, on the album for me, but it's a good song. Well, we'll move on to track 11. And track 11 is the unofficial single, in my eyes, of Love You More. It was originally released in the UK by techno group Sunscream in July. Sunscream, I should Sunscream. say. Not Sunscream. Yeah, not Sunscream. In July 1992, which peaked at number 23 in the UK, number 30 in Australia, and number 36 in America. It has been covered and released by DJ Paul Elstack in 1995, which peaked at number two on the Dutch Top 100 single chart. 
1999, German singer Roller Girl released her version, which peaked at the, within the top 20 in Germany, the Netherlands, and Norway. Also, it has been covered in 2010 by Australian DJ duo The Oxford Hustlers featuring Catherine Ellis. They released a version of it. So um, in 2010, I guess they were Australia's akin to the Freemasons, which is a DJ group. Um, a video clip was made for it on the steps of the video. Um, and like I said at the start of this, in my eyes, it's the unofficial final single. Yeah. Should have been a single. Um, I think there's a consensus um, that, uh, you know, all of us think the same of that. In the video, steps receive their individual certifications for 5678 Lasting My Mind and Step 1 in Australia, having received a group version during a recording of Australian of the Australian television show Hey Hat Saturday earlier in 1998 I mean, I see you both nodding with the comments that I've just made about Love You More. Um, I, I, I know I can tell from that you agree. Um, anything more to add? I, look, nothing that we haven't already said. Like, we, we talked about this in such length in the part one of the It Should Have Been a Single episode. To me, you could have replaced Better Best Forgotten with this song. You could have kept the video treatment for Better Best Forgotten and just put Love You More on top of it. Or you know what? I could have been fine with the steps to video version, like video of this. Like it, it was camp. It was for for ninety eight. Those were great special Product effects. Them in the in yeah. the sky. Um, I yeah, love this song. Loved again that it had its moment on the party and the dance floor tour. What Steve Anderson did with that mix is just incredible, and I still pray and manifest that one day we might get a studio version of that, even though he has confirmed there isn't one. Uh, but there's time to record. Still time. Fun. It just, you know, the band have said this before. It should have been a single. It, it really is to me. I When I think of this album, this is a massive standout. And, you know, in the fandom, it's a standout. And it's funny because, um, Shane, we were talking about this before we hit record that you hadn't, you weren't aware of the sunscreen version. I was aware of it. And when I heard the steps version i do remember going oh this is the cover because it was quite prominent because it was a top 30 single here in australia so i do remember this version so i was aware of kind of going i feel like i've heard this song before and i also wonder if maybe the reason why it wasn't a single 
is because you just mentioned in 99, which was literally in this time, it was released by Roller Girl. And I know that in Europe, her version was was quite predominantly well known. So I wonder if there was a decision. It depends when in 1999, Don't know exactly the time. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, if that was maybe, the, if it was early in that year, that may have been an indication as to why it never became a single because there was another version in Europe that was top 20, that was doing its thing. Um, <laughs> that Roller Girl. Roller Girl. <laughs> Look, let's move on to the final track because we've been talking for five hours. And at track... Num track number 12 the final track on step one stay with me stay with me Originally recorded by... Who was it, Brad, that it was originally recorded by? (laughs) (laughs) Romeo's daughter. If you listen to... What episode was that? And you said... I can't even remember. I think it was the US one. Yes, if you listen to our US episode, you will know what I'm referring to. Originally recorded by Romeo's daughter in 1986, and it was originally titled Stay With Me Tonight. It was co-written by Mutt Lang who famously co-wrote Come On Over by Shania Twain, who he was married to at the time. And he's gone on to work with everyone from Lady Gaga, The Cause, Britney, and even ACDC. This track was highlighted as one of Lisa's favourites to perform on the band's first UK tour. She said, I really enjoyed singing Stay With Me, which is the ballad that Faye and I did. Because it's slow, there was no dance routine, so we got to sit down and sing to the audience. Thoughts on Stay With Me? Yeah, I, I I really enjoy this song more than um, Back to You and probably Too Weak to Resist. Um, I quite like it. It's a really nice song. Like it's it's just it's a lovely closer of the album, which Steps like to do a little ballad to close the album out. It's funny you say that because that was my note. Was actually this is my problem with the album. My only problem with the album is the sequencing because I would have had this swap with this Heart Will Love again. I think that would have been, been a nicer closer because it's got all of them on it. I would have had that as a closer. They talked a lot in the What the Future Holds promo tour that they like ending their albums with a ballad, which is interesting because in Australia, uh, they traditionally never have. No, well, in Australia, um, there was an additional, well, there was an additional couple of tracks. Um, there was the one for Sorrow work in progress remix and then later on tragedy was tagged on as track 14 yeah for this for this podcast we're just doing the uk track list but even like when you think about steptacular uk you're everything that matters with the last track in australia one for sorrow us mix and then for buzz the same if you believe ended the uk album but human touch ended the australian album so i never really had that experience for me steps albums always ended on high so I just found that interesting when they kind of were talking about that. I was like, no, it's not. But then I had to have a think. It was pretty common back then, like to have an album end on a ballad. It wasn't not, everyone was doing that at the time. If you look at albums from back then, it was basically like, that's just what you did. And I kind of don't know why. Mm. Why would you want to end an album on a slow note? Like if you think about it, no, yeah. I kind of get your point. And it's like a steps album. Yeah. like Well, you've kind of been taken on this journey and then you just end nice and softly. Yeah. It's like a roller coaster journey. Yeah. 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 But I, I, this song, when we 
talked about it on the US episode. I revisited this song and I really, really love it. And I, I kind of could, I would have loved to have seen this as a single. I think it could have replaced Heartbeat. I think I've said that as well, but um, I, I have a newfound love for this song. I think Fainly are, are like such a beautiful contrast of voices on this track. And yeah, I, it's a shame that some of the, you know, when we're talking about these songs, like talking about experience and too weak to resist and back to you and, and stay with me that these songs have never had more of a moment on stage. You know, if we were, if you were lucky enough to see their first theater tour, then you would have seen some of those songs. But since then, you know, these songs have kind of been, you know, you know, paid dust and I'd, I'd, it'd be nice to kind of see some of these reimagined and, and performed and dug out for, you know, a future tour. It would be nice to see stay. I'd love to see Faye perform stay with me in 2023. You know, I think just to see what they could do with it. Um, It's, it's funny that you say that Scott, like since doing the last two episodes and this one making us listen to album tracks and not the singles, it's making me crave them to do what Kylie did oh, after Aphrodite, like an anti-tour. It's like I wish they would do stripped back performance, a run of shows that were um, like kind of like what they did with that Crash Records performance they did last year where they are, you know, they might go for an hour and a half and it's, you know, not in massive venues, it's in theatre venues um, and they're doing songs that you just don't always hear. Um, with you know some little additions in there and maybe some reworking or something like that, like an almost like an anti tour. I reckon that could be something to infill between now and the thirtieth anniversary tour. Just putting it out there, Faye, Lisa, H, Claire. I was going to say Scott then. <laughs> <laughs> Just putting it out there, Faye, Lisa, H, Lee, and Claire. If you're listening, and Steve, hey, Steve. and Adam. Um, if you're listening, let's do an anti-tour style thing. I would, I would personally great. love the to see the fans would froth. I would personally love to see something like that for the thirtieth. I, th- I think just because, because fa- uh, that's what Kylie did for the twenty-fifth, her anniversary. She did more the anti, she did the anti-tour then. So, I think for thirtieth, mix it up and mm. you know do an arena tour, of course, but do some anti-tour anti-tour shows. I think that would be mm. incredible. Pull some of these songs out of the archives. I guess that wraps the episode up, peoples. It does. It's been, a, it's been a big one. We've been one. chatting for a while. It's been a big one. Um, it's been lovely talking about this album, and I have such nostalgia for it. So thank you for listening, everybody. Uh, if you want to follow us, you can follow us at Glitter Steps Pod on all of the socials, Insta, TikTok, you know, YouTube, you name it. X. If you want to follow me, um, Twitter, yeah, X. If you want to follow me, you can follow me at Stepmeister on Instagram or at StepmeisterOZ on Twitter, X, whatever it's called, and TikTok. <laughs> Scott, where can they follow you? They can follow me at StepsCollection underscore on Instagram. Bradley, where can everyone find your lovely face? You can find me on Instagram at Brad Schmeling, and who knows, maybe I'll get back yeah. to you. <laughs> <laughs> He'll send you a voice note of him singing track seven. Yeah. <laughs> That's it, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. Take care. See ya. Bye. Bye.